0: Welcome to Just Ahead Podcast. My name is Adele Dujardin, teacher turned life and leadership coach with a passion for helping others live a life that is happily theirs. Through interviews with folks five to 10 years out of college, you will hear they have carved out satisfying careers of all kinds. Here I speak with a young professional who prefers to remain anonymous to learn how after graduating college with a degree in international relations, she works years later in business development at a software company specializing in data analytics in New York City. Okay, so welcome. Thank you. Do you want to just start by just a little background information, like where you went to college, what your major was, some interests of yours?
1: Yeah, so I graduated in 2015 from mm-hmm. a small liberal arts college in Tennessee uh, called Swanee, and I studied international relations there and minored in environmental studies. I had known going in that I was very interested in inter- international relations, mostly because I had traveled a lot. I had this like desire to kind of understand the world on a more political level mm-hmm. um, than just seeing it. In the way that I've been traveling, and then uh, where I went to school has a huge emphasis on the outdoors. It's the second largest campus in the country, and so when I got there, I had to take a science class. I ended up taking forestry, and then really enjoyed that, and decided to minor in environmental studies uh, based on just like the opportunities at hand to discover and learn about where I was going to school.
0: And did those things inform your your career choice when you first graduated? You know, how how did you go about
1: Figuring out that first move. I thought that I wanted to be in the nonprofit world. And before I started my senior year at school, I got this internship working in New York for a nonprofit called Somali Mom Foundation. Mm-hmm. And they were a nonprofit that was working to raise awareness about human trafficking, which was an interest of mine. Um in terms of education of human trafficking, an issue that was really prevalent in Tennessee when I was in college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, Somali Mom was kind of this like global nonprofit that I was really interested in working with. They were specifically working in Cambodia. The woman who was named Somali Mom, who had started this organization, had been trafficked herself and had this story that a lot of people had gotten behind. So, I thought, you know, might as well try working in a nonprofit. The week before I was supposed to start my internship, I was in the airport and I saw a Newsweek uh, magazine and it had a picture of Somali mom on the front of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm about to go work for this organization and company. Mm-hmm. And I opened up the magazine and it was a five page expose on. Somali mom and how she had lied about her story oh. and just like basically just everything that she had been telling people was was a lie in terms of like her particular story and how she became interested in in starting Somali mom. And so when I arrived at my internship, <laughs> they were like, We're shutting down this company. We oh. still can can take you on, but like we're gonna teach you how to basically like close-up shop. Um, wow.
0: So your internship was helping them to come to a conclusion.
1: Yeah. So the first two or three weeks, they were still in the, in the phase of trying to figure out if they could rebrand. And we were still, you know, trying to get some donations. We were talking to people all the time. I, I learned a lot about customer service in the sense of I had these people calling who had been donating, you know, even 5 or $10 a month for years on end. Mm-hmm. Who just felt so cheated by what mm-hmm. she had done, and um, there was this fine line of of having to recognize exactly what they were experiencing and and feeling let, you know betrayed and let down, mm-hmm. but also having to remind them that the cause that they were donating for and the um, mission that was there, which was to eradicate human trafficking in in Cambodia and Thailand and raise awareness about it was actually very much and is a real thing. Mm. And so it was a very interesting kind of like, how do I appropriately message both of these things? Honoring
0: that larger mission and then acknowledging that there were some serious problems in the management of the organization with the founder and her dishonesty. And what was going on inside of you? during this time
1: I couldn't believe that this was happening (laughs) I mean I I think the article was titled like the holy saint and sinner of sex trafficking or something just so absurd yeah and I just kind of was like oh my gosh this is insane and I think she just told this story for so long that she like actually Mm -hmm. just started to believe Mm -hmm. that it was that it happened to her and so because of that and because the foundation was named after her and all these other things like it was just very evident that that there wasn't a way to kind of come back from this and Mm so you know the the rebranding and the remarketing was not going to work and so Mm -hmm. instead you know we were taking things to goodwill we were dealing with people who had previously engaged with her or donated to her there was a guy a photographer who had made this entire coffee table book with mm-hmm. her and we had you know 200 copies of that book mm-hmm. still left and he was like I want you to shred mm-hmm. every single one mm-hmm. which was for somebody who likes books like me it was pretty brutal to have to do yeah. that yeah. but yeah so I, uh, I got back to school senior year and I was like well if I ever go to a company that needs to be shut down I know what to do <laughs> now <laughs> And what were your, what was
0: uh, another big takeaway for you from that whole
1: moment? There were a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I, the first thing I realized and and thought about was how people often feel like they need to relate or be dealing with somebody who has personally experienced something that they're like a cause that they're trying to get behind Mm -hmm. or, and kind of like society's ability to connect much faster and much easier Mm. to somebody like that. So Mm. I think it was an interesting way to think about it. Like, as for somebody like me, who was interested in educating my peers about human trafficking, who really believed that it's an issue that, you know, needs to have light shed on it. It's an issue that's horrible. It's an issue that's, you know, happening not only in the world, but in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But I've never experienced that. Mm -hmm. And how can I have people understand and and get behind that movement without, you know, having to Mm -hmm. experience it myself, essentially. The second thing was I realized sometimes what can be like the danger in naming a company or an organization after a specific person, Mm -hmm. because I think it then becomes very hard to separate Mm -hmm. that person from that that mission or from that organization Um, even if they were to leave in a capacity like not like that if they were just you know to retire or something like that Mm -hmm. it just makes the separation a lot harder Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think sometimes can muddy the water in terms of like the work that's being done or just supporting because you like the, the individual and that's it.
0: Right. Interesting. So keeping some integrity of the, the mission and the organization separate from the founder or a key player. Exactly. Yep. All right. So you, so you're back at school and, you know, actually why don't we jump forward and, and tell us where you are now and then you can maybe connect the dots.
1: Yeah. So I work for a mm-hmm. tech company now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am newly based out of New York, but I spent mm-hmm. four years in, Washington D.C. and I work primarily on Department of Defense contracts. So totally different than anything that I had previously done. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of jumping back to, you know, four five years ago when I graduated school, yeah. I I felt like oh man I had just done this this nonprofit gig obviously it didn't work out the way that I wanted to, but I also kind of like looked back at how I had placed myself in school and in these, all these settings that I had been in. And I realized that I had oftentimes put myself in a small pool mm-hmm. and realized like I had always kind of been like a big fish in a small ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had, I had thrived in a lot of those, a lot of those uh, situations, which is probably why I kept putting myself back in the same situation. Uh-huh. And I, thought, you know, first of all, I don't think I want to go work in the nonprofit world. Second of all, if I wanted to go back into the nonprofit world, I think that the transition from corporate to nonprofit is probably a lot easier mm. than nonprofit to corporate. But also I thought that I really needed to challenge myself by putting myself in a larger environment, okay. uh, which also kind of lended itself towards the corporate
0: and is the, is the company you're with, the company that you went to upon graduating
1: college? I'm at the same company still, yes. Yeah.
0: And, and just, just yeah. tell us a little bit about your job, like what you do. I know you just said you, um, it's a tech company, defense contracts, but you know what, what's, what's required of you?
1: Yeah, so I do kind of a hybrid of different roles. I started out as the receptionist, and then I became an administrative assistant, And now i do business development so i do still like a little bit of kind of admin-y type work Mm -hmm. but the majority of what i'm doing is project-based management so um trying to understand like what do we need to be doing internally to get and execute what we need to be giving to our customers or where you know the deadlines that we need to be meeting so i do that's kind of like Broadly speaking, the most most of what I do at the And Can
0: you give give us an example of something you've done recently that you felt was effective in getting that project done?
1: Yeah. So when working with the government, your timelines and deadlines can be changing quite a bit. Um, And I think there's not so much like a specific example that I can think of right now. But one of the things that I've learned is the need to just kind of be very, very flexible and, and on your toes a lot. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of times, you know, we will plan for something to happen one way and then because the government and things change um, very rapidly, even though they move very slowly in terms of the contracting perspective, Mm -hmm. um, I've just like learned to adapt as quickly as I can, which Mm -hmm. For somebody who's like me, I, I tend to be pretty type A in my own mm-hmm. life and like mm-hmm. my personal life. Mm-hmm. And so that's not something that I was necessarily very good at when I, when I got out of school. Like mm-hmm. having to change things last minute or when things wouldn't go exactly as I was thinking that they would go. I've now kind of learned to have like plan A, plan B, plan C. Uh-huh. Is that what you help your team <laughs> do as well? So you're, you're, you're
0: adjusting and then you kind of help them adjust to the change of plans?
1: Yeah. Adjusting to the change of plan, like trying to make sure that everybody's tracking, you know, where we are currently all matter of things. And you, and you say you um, started as the
0: receptionist. So how did that come about? Did you just say, Oh, I love this company. Like, you know, why, why being a receptionist and why this company versus others?
1: Yeah. So going kind of back to the mission driven side um, when I you know, I had mentioned earlier that I was really interested in human trafficking. I graduated, decided not to go into the nonprofit world, but moved to D.C. because I had some friends that were moving there and thought maybe I wanted to go work on the Hill. Mm-hmm. was interested in some of the legislation that was coming out of certain offices mm-hmm. surrounding uh, human trafficking in the U.S. and so was kind of thinking about that, put myself in DC and basically just met with anybody and everybody that I could meet with and mm-hmm. talk to them about, you know, what the career looks like and, and things like that. But I kind of always kept coming back to this. I'm interested in, in, in human trafficking and eradicating it and educating people about it. And I went to this talk um, at Google, and Google had Polaris Project that was there, and Polaris Project is a nonprofit in D.C. that hosts the National Human Trafficking Hotline. They're, they're very well-renowned for the work that they do mm. with human trafficking, and they were there with my company, and they were talking about how my company had integrated all of their data um, mm. from the National Human Trafficking Hotline so that they could better understand the calls that were coming into the hotline and how to respond to them. Okay. And I, you know, was twenty three and was like, what Mm -hmm. company wants to integrate this data and understand Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. You know. And so I found them online, I applied online and I had no expertise. I didn't know anything about anything that they were doing, which was Mm -hmm. they, you know, have this philanthropy world that I had first heard of them as. They do a ton of work with the government and then they also have a commercial side. Mm -hmm. And so I applied and I'm sure they saw my resume and were like, you have no background in government. You've never had a job before, but you seem pretty organized. Uh So we'll hire you for the front desk. Uh And Uh I was like, okay, I, Uh yeah, sure. This seems like a cool company to work for. Like, let's give it a try. Yeah. And I mean, that was really why I I did it.
0: Okay. So it was was this attraction to this actual company and the, the varied work they were doing and how their work supports some of these non-profits that um really have a place in your heart
1: yes exactly yeah. and you know as i got there and and really got more involved in like understanding the company as a whole it is a company that's very mission driven we choose our customers based on the outcomes that the customers want and so mm-hmm. you know I'm not i'm not working in our philanthropy section of the business mm-hmm. but with our defense business you know Clearly, very mission mission driven and mission oriented, mm-hmm. and so that was, I I kind of found that hybrid of like working for a commercial company that wasn't just gonna like, totally suck my entire soul out of me, mm-hmm. um, but that had some you know relevance and and uh, drive behind it. Yeah.
0: So yeah, and then from
1: receptionist, you
0: said you went to administrative assistant. Yep. And then on to business
1: development, and so right. you know being in administrative assistant I had. I learned a lot because I was watching, you know, meetings and tracking things that were coming through, um, you know, through the pipeline and just got a lot of exposure pretty quickly to the varied aspects of the business.
0: Yeah. And so, and how did you make yourself known? Like, you know, one could still be a receptionist four years later. Um, One could continue to have stayed at the administrative assistant level, you know, how did you maneuver this climb to places that would really make use of your skill set and, and hold your interest? You know, I
1: decided pretty early on once I had my, you know, had my you know, legs underneath me at work that I wanted to keep learning. And that was like my drive for what I was doing there. So whether it was like, you know, at first I was learning how to you know, calendar and use Microsoft and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But then it became more, like, you know, deeper sense of learning in terms of, like, why do we, you know, why do we want to work with this customer? What does our product do? Like, all of that. So I decided that, like, learning was a huge part of keeping me interested and keeping just, like, me alive, I guess, at work. Mm -hmm. And I just started asking a lot of questions. And I figured out who were the people that would talk to me and would sit down <laughs> and would, you know, whiteboard something for me or let me ask questions. Mm-hmm. I volunteered for like anything and everything. <laughs> and when people started inviting me to come to meetings, I was like, yeah. absolutely, I'll yeah. take notes. Yeah. And that was, I think that, you know, something that people saw was just like my desire to figure it out. And I mm-hmm. didn't necessarily know it right away, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to at least be putting myself in, in places that, I could try. Yes. You know?
0: I'm hearing you really took initiative. You decided yourself that you were going to just learn as much as you could. And you also saw, sounds like mentors or people who could at least help you in your learning.
1: Yes. You know, I think that there's this kind of perception that when you graduate, you're going into this world that's like very dog eat dog mm. and it's very competitive and you have to, Really do everything on your own, Mm -hmm. and I definitely think that you know you're gonna you create the path that you want to go down. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely people out there that are really interested in kind of bringing up the next generation and educating them in providing opportunities for growth. Yeah, and sometimes you need to kind of like ask for that or Mm -hmm. or signal that that's something that you're interested in. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: I've found that I have several people at work who have invested in me a lot Mm. and because of that like I've had more opportunities offered to me which I've then, you know tried to succeed at Mm. or take an initiative to ask for but it's not it's not just a me thing like you have to have people that are interested in you and and want to you know help you get where you're going and want to offer you feedback when you've done something that they would don't agree with, or you've thought about something in the wrong way. Um, you, you want people that are going to challenge you. And I think that you can find that. I mean, I certainly have, but I just, I don't agree with this whole idea of like, you're just being thrown into the wolves and like you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And what do you think
0: they saw in you? I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing again, the initiative, but they're obviously investing in you for their future, you know, the future of the company. So, what do you What do you think were the traits that they saw that made them feel like, "Yes, this person's worth our time, she's worth promoting?
1: So I think that you know, first and foremost, they know that they can trust me, mm-hmm. and I think that that speaks you know that's a huge thing in business. Mm-hmm. like you you mm-hmm. need people that you can trust, but I also think I'm pretty calm. Mm-hmm. I just kind of figure out what's in front of me and figure out how to make things happen, mm-hmm. even if I don't know all of the answers, and so I think those are probably two things along with initiatives that Mm -hmm. have made them feel like I'm worth investing in. All right.
0: And yeah, and like, tell me a little bit about the culture. It sounds, I mean, obviously you've stayed there for a while. Um, So I would guess you're happy with the culture. So what are some key components of this work culture that satisfy you?
1: I feel like I have a really strong support group of my colleagues and especially on like my immediate team, people that I view as like, you know, colleagues but also as friends, but there there's just a lot of support and there is a lot of the desire for me to kind of carve my own, like blaze my own trail, but also have feedback given pretty frequently. And that's something that I think is really important because I think that there are places that you can go where You might like everybody around you and you might be really good friends with them, but they might not be offering you feedback. And so if you're not getting constant feedback, you can learn bad habits or I think sometimes put yourself like set yourself back because you don't constantly think about how you need to be changing Mm -hmm. and adapting as you're growing as an individual within the work environment.
0: Yeah. It sounds like a big value of yours is, is dynamism. Like, you, you know, dynamic in terms of always learning more. And also that learning isn't just internally generated. It's coming from others. You know, you don't want to be static. It sounds like. Yes, I do not want to be static. <laughs> <laughs> so And that's kind of, you know, I just have two more questions, but one of the last ones is so, so work-life balance. So now you're living in a city that also kind of matches more, more that dynamic part of your personality and, and, and how are you finding balancing, you know, life outside work and work, you know, is it, is it manageable or your hours crazy, not so crazy?
1: I've only been doing it for about a month, so I'm Mm -hmm. still adjusting, but I'm definitely trying to set schedule. So I actually still commute to DC three Mm -hmm. days a week, which means that I'm not, I'm in DC almost more than I am in New York right now. Um, But I'm trying to set routines for myself when I am here in New York, uh, especially on the weekends, because that's kind of the time that I get to take a break from work, but also try to see friends, but also try to just kind of get established here. And so I think When you're in a place where you're not totally sure, you don't have a lot of control over the situation or your schedule right now, the time that you can kind of schedule out for yourself will actually give you more time instead of just Mm. like figuring it all out in the moment. I think that's actually a time waste.
0: Okay. All right. That's a a really good piece of advice. I can probably even take that advice myself on certain days (laughs) or periods of the year and, um, and that's what I wanted to end on was, you know, what, what other advice do you have um, for people, you know, who are at that juncture of being in college, looking, for, looking forward to um, having a career? You know,
1: what are maybe two to three things you really want to say? I think the first would be going back to what I was saying about, you know, when you're looking for a job, talking to anybody that will – listen to you Mm -hmm. I I talked to people that had jobs or worked in industries that I was never even interested in or that Mm -hmm. I probably won't ever be interested in Mm -hmm. but they've experienced you know Mm -hmm. 10 years 20 years 30 years in the working world Mm -hmm. and they have really good advice on just like work in general and and getting Mm. a job and so I think you know there's a benefit to hearing different perspectives but also it allows you to start to refine your talking points and kind of craft exactly what your message is so that when you go into an interview you um very quickly are able to just to tell them exactly what you think or what you want Mm -hmm. um sounds sounds like it helps
0: you get more clear on what really is going to interest you or what you might be good at um, as you hear the whole breath of what's available. Can you hear that siren? Sorry. I can. It's such a New York sound to me.
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's uh,
0: totally fine.
1: Um, I think in terms of like the second type of the second piece of advice, Mm-hmm. Uh, the first job that you get offered might exactly be your dream job. and might be the exact perfect thing for you mm-hmm. uh, or you might need to take it because there you have limitations in terms of like your, you know, how you, quickly you want to set up your life and where you want to live and things like that. Mm-hmm. But me and one of my roommates who we first, you know, first lived with outside of school, we were two of the people that waited the longest for jobs. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, we, we did have the luxury to, move to a place and and look for a job over the course of several months. Mm -hmm. But I would say that we were the happiest because we really took time to refine exactly what we wanted uh, and to figure that out. And did she do what you did, which
0: was to just really delve into the kind of this exploring by interviewing people and checking out different possibilities?
1: Yeah, we actually both interned uh, when we first moved to DC. Mm -hmm. She was interning for a couple of different, uh, you know, environmental organizations. Mm-hmm. I was interview- interning for a think tank mm-hmm. and we, we got lucky because we had these internships where we were going to work every week, mm-hmm. um, but they did not want either of us there full time. Mm-hmm. So we had the, the luxury of continuing to interview other places. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That sounds great. I also just am thinking that it's probably so wonderful for people to hear who are, graduating from college that you didn't have a job right
1: away and it just kind of yeah I didn't have a job I also was a contractor at first which was not something I knew about when I first started but there's this whole contracting industry out there where you contract with a company through a third-party company and you sometimes it's like a trial and error type of situation where they want to see you know for nine months if you'll survive at the company or if you're a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no, I I had no idea that that existed. And I was like, what kind of offer is this? What does a contractor mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, it's just
0: a beautiful story of how you just took generally what you knew, applied it to a company that excited you and then entered at the ground level in terms of positions. And you've really carved something out for yourself, thereby teaching yourself and reaching out and it's, it's inspiring.
1: Well, thank you. I, it's, yeah. you know, having, having the support network that I've had both within the company and, and just my friends and family as well has, has been really important because you can't do it alone.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a beautiful thing to end on because you can't and it, and it, you've made use of that at
1: every turn. It, well, I think you get a lot out of, you know, learning who people are, Mm -hmm. as humans not just as co-workers Mm. or as your boss
0: I like that whole concept like don't view them just as your boss like you really are two humans and then there's so much more possible there when you approach it that way and and less intimidating
1: yeah less intimidating for sure (laughs)
0: all right well thank you so much for sharing your story today I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from listening to it
1: you're welcome I'm glad to have had the opportunity to share it
0: Thanks for listening to Just Ahead. Be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about me, visit my website at www.agoodlife.coach or follow me on Instagram at agoodlife.coach. Join us again next week to hear more folks share the practical and inspirational around their working lives post-college.